Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Awesome. Wow. Well, I'm Greg Clark. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome here. Uh, Happy to have you guys with us today. It's fantastic. Those of you that are joining us online, uh, glad to have you online. And sadly, my mom is only online with us today. So hi, mom. It's good to see you. Um, Well, uh, today's a good day. Today's a good day. Yeah. So in the last few weeks, um, I've been, uh, in my own personal devotions, stuck on the Abrahamic covenant. This promise that God gave to Abraham back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and it goes like this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The great promise that Abraham, as he saw that and heard that, probably would have not really understood the full, the full thing that God was talking about there. But God, certainly Abraham would have understood that God has blessed me. I've been blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. And the reason that God has blessed me is to bless others through me. It's a great pr- promise to Abraham. It's a great promise that goes down through his lineage. And in fact, because we are Christ followers, there's this neat thing in the New Testament, I'm not going to get into it today, but that we have been grafted in, all believers, even those of us who are not Jewish, we're not from the line of Abraham, we've been grafted into the promises of God, and we receive this promise as well, that God God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us, bless us, bless us, because He wants to bless the world through us. And the primary way that he blesses us, this is what I've been pondering as I've been leaning there. I've been, God, God, reveal to me the blessings you've given us. You've given us hope. You've given us peace. You've given us love. You've given us life. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? And you want us. The reason God has blessed us is so that we can be a blessing to others so that others will know the goodness of God. God intends to reveal himself to the world, to reveal his love to the world, to reveal his blessings to the world through you and I. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. It brings us to our topic for today. We're going to watch a quick video here, and I want you to be thinking about the idea that God has blessed us to be a blessing as we watch this video. Let's watch the video now. Trend number seven, from ministry capacity to disciple-making capacity. Many church leaders are realizing that the ministries their church provide do not reliably make disciples capable of making disciples. Where they once relied on ministry capacity and attendance at groups, events, and gatherings to ensure the growth of their church, we see more leaders recognizing the need to increase the disciple-making capacity of their members. Instead of measuring the number of gatherings a church provides and the attendance at these gatherings, churches are aiming to measure the behavior and skills associated with mature and seasoned disciple makers. As church measures these behaviors, their focus shifts towards nurturing the behaviors. 
Simultaneously, many Christians are dissatisfied with returning to the way it was. Some argue that those who did not return to a church building after the COVID-19 pandemic were non-committed consumerists. However, it is not difficult to see that at least a portion of those not returning are instead joining the burgeoning conversation of what it looks like to make disciples. These sick of the same are believers awakening to Christ's personal call to make fully mature disciples of Jesus capable of reproducing disciples in their context. Additionally, they are dissatisfied with the lack of equipping they have previously received through regular church attendance. Many are also cynical of attending events purely for the sake of attendance, but are quick to say yes to challenges and training that will grow and equip them to live on the Father's mission of redeeming all things. One common realization of these types is that many are burnt out on religion. Christ invites all believers into an everyday disciple-making lifestyle that, while sacrificial and cross-bearing, must also align with the easy yoke and light burden way that Jesus promises. For several decades, a movement of reproducing disciple-makers have been expanding across the globe, primarily in the global south. Recently, this movement has gained traction in North America. The practice and teaching of disciple-making movements scratched the itch of the dissatisfied. When introduced to these movements, the sick of the same are quick to embrace the ways they are taught and live as missionaries in the places God has planted them. What some see as a discouraging post-pandemic exodus of the church, others see as a faithful response to the missional empowerment of the Spirit. Passionate Christ followers are rising up and saying, show me how to make disciples. Um, cultural trends happening outside of the church. This is the first one we're looking at that is a cultural trend that's, that's mostly what's happening within the church. Uh, we're not looking at the broad cultural right now. We're looking at here, right here, this space, the stuff that is affecting our Christian mission. So as the video describes, there are many in the church today who are sick of the same old way of doing things. You might even be experiencing that. You might be wondering, what is this life all about? What, why am I here? Is it just to come to church on a Sunday morning and then go about my normal business for a week and then come back here on a Sunday morning again? What am I here for? So if you're a little bit sick of the same old way of doing things, you're not alone. There's many of us who are wondering, what are we actually here for? Statistically and anecdotally, we know that the North American church has not been growing the way that we would like to see it grow. In fact, the church in North America is shrinking. And it's not anything to be afraid of. Remember early on as we were doing these shift things, I said, do not be afraid. Have no fear. God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. But what, are we, what should we pay attention to in these times? Over COVID, many of the people who regularly attended church have chosen not to come back again. We felt that here. We felt that in our own church. The church in North America is, is feeling that. But even without COVID, prior to COVID, in any given year, the number of people coming to Christ, making decisions to follow Him and give their life to Him, has been dropping drastically. It's been low and slow. So we have two problems. The first problem is that we have people who know Jesus who are beginning to get frustrated with the church or frustrated with their walk or frustrated with just all of this, and they're not showing up anymore. And the second problem is that we have a low number of people who are making decisions to follow Christ. This is just not the way it's supposed to be. I think the reason behind both of these problems is that, is that the church, and we've been talking about this for a number of years now, maybe not publicly, but we've been walking down this road. The, the problem behind both of these, these issues is that we have been a church 
that has not really done well at making disciples who make disciples. That reproduction, that, that replication, where, where not only do you walk with Jesus, but you begin to share your life with other people, and they see Jesus in you and want to walk with Jesus also. For the most part, church, for probably the last 30, 40 years, has been set up to where all the ministry happens right here. That if your friend ever asks you, hey, can you tell me more about Jesus? You say, well, come with me to church on Sunday. Or someone says, hey, I've got this headache or I've got this, this cancer or I've got this difficulty. Would you pray for me? And you say, well, let me take you to your pastor. We, we've kind of jettisoned the idea that we actually are called to make disciples and we've put it all into one little place and one little position and said, well, the pastor's job is to make disciples. But we've missed out on the fact that we've all been called to make disciples. The, the problem today is that we're making disciples who don't know how to make disciples. And, and the reason that's a problem is because I think that's the number one job of the church, is to make disciples who make disciples. Now, you know, what, what we've done well, the church has done well in making ministries. And that's not a terrible thing. We've got lots of great ministries running. We have a, a burgeoning kids ministry and a fantastic youth ministry. Our small group ministry is, is wonderful. You, you may not know this, but over half the people who call this their church home are actively involved in a small group, which is a great statistic. We love to see everybody involved somewhere in a life-giving life group. What do we call them now? Connect groups. An amazing connect group, a place where you feel connected and loved and cared for. We'd love for everybody to do that. But it's a great stat that over half the people in our church are in a connect group. It's wonderful. We have a thriving women's ministry. We're still struggling with, struggling with getting a men's ministry going, but we're hopeful. We have a ministry to our community. We have a great reputation in our community of, of a place that, that is helpful and, and involved and connected. We have a, a prayer ministry, we have a ministry of worship, a ministry of teaching, and on and on. We've got a lot of good stuff happening. And I would suggest that we have done a good job of making disciples, but we've not yet done a good job of making disciples who make disciples. So let me show you what I'm talking about. In Jesus' time, discipleship was well understood. Everyone was a disciple of somebody. We would maybe understand, uh, understand a more modern term today, the, the term apprentice. People were apprenticing all over the place in Jesus' time. The word apprentice doesn't go all the way, but, but where apprentice and disciple match up is that an apprentice follows a master. You might apprentice to be a, a, a carpenter or something like that, or, or even apprentice to be a, a doctor or whatever it is. You're instructed by somebody, you imitate them until you're able to go out and do it on your own, possibly even beginning to have apprentices of your own who follow you and learn from you. The place, though, where discipleship and apprenticeship are different is that you would probably, if you were apprenticing to somebody to learn how to be a carpenter, you probably wouldn't go home with them at night to see how they baked their bread or loved their family or how they slept at night or how they woke up in the morning. You probably wouldn't find that out, but a disciple does. To, to be someone's disciple was to learn and imitate everything about a person. We see disciples in Jesus' time living with their master. They did life together so that a disciple could see how a master ate and lived and worked and treated their spouse and raised their children, watching them and imitating every aspect of their life. In Jesus' time, 
A disciple wouldn't just kind of like show up at 8 a.m. and go home at 5 o'clock. No, they, they connected themselves to a master or a rabbi with, with a, a word imagery that they used. And the word imagery they used was yoke. They would yoke themselves to a master, connecting themselves intricately and intimately so that they would follow everything the master did. Now, if you don't know what a yoke is, likely around here we all kind of know what a yoke is. But if you don't know, if you're watching online, you're from Florida, you don't quite know what a yoke is. Here's what a yoke is. Uh, uh, that's my mom is in Florida, so I don't know. Mom, you probably know what a yoke is. It's fine. She did a lot of 4-H, so she gets it. But a yoke is a wooden cross piece fastened over two animals and attached to a plow or a wagon. I think of a pair of oxen who are pulling a, 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 a plow or something like that, or a team of horses who are yoked together pulling a wagon. Something like that. Now imagine if you have a new ox or a new horse that you're trying to break in. What is common to do, actually, is to take a new or a young ox and and to put them together with a well-trained, mature, strong ox. Yoke them together with another ox that knows what he's doing. So that when you go out to plow, the young ox who doesn't know how you plow or where you go or that you need to go straight or you need to go down from this side to that side, the old ox knows. And as he's pulling, the young ox will come in line and learn how to plow. And that's what discipleship is. It's the idea of someone who doesn't know how to do stuff, yoking themselves to somebody who does. And in rabbinical times, the rabbis would refer to their teaching as the yoke. So when a disciple wanted to follow a rabbi, the rabbi would say, take my teachings, take my yoke, and unite yourself to me. Follow me. Come and learn everything about me. The way I speak, the way I lead, the way I eat, the way I pray, the way I worship, the way I love, the way I judge, the way I dot, dot, dot. Learn everything about me and the way I do things until you can carry my yoke even beyond me. That was the goal. That was the desire of the rabbi, is to have disciples who would carry their yoke in such a way that when the rabbi was gone, his teaching, the things that he had learned about the world and about God and about all the stuff, would continue on beyond him. And those disciples, the hope was, it wasn't just going to die one generation later, but those disciples would also become rabbis, and they would have disciples of their own, and they would carry on the, the, their master's teaching through them to the next disciple, who would then carry it on to the next disciple, who would then carry it on to the next disciple. In that way, the rabbi's teachings, all that he was about, all that he understood about who God was and how life was supposed to be, would be continued to pass on well beyond his death. Now, the yoke of the Pharisees during Jesus' time was a yoke that was burdensome and difficult, to say the least. The yoke of the Pharisees followed the Old Testament law to excess. I'm just going to take one example for you here, the Sabbath. I'm just going to take this Sabbath for an example. It's the fourth commandment of God to honor the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, in order to honor the Sabbath and be careful to not dishonor the Sabbath, they added over six hundred rules and regulations under the commandment to honor the Sabbath, which became cumbersome to people. So as a disciple, you had to learn not just to honor the Sabbath, but you had to learn the 600 rules that came along with honoring the Sabbath. Now, one of the rules was that if you, on the Sabbath, it's okay to spit if you're spitting onto a rock. 
But it's not okay to spit if you spit upon the ground, because if you spit on the ground, it might stir itself up and make mortar, which would be work. And work was outlawed on the Sabbath. So when you spit, you had to be careful that you spit onto a rock and not onto the ground. And there were many others just like this, other rules that you had to follow to make sure that you were not breaking the Sabbath. And not only was the yoke of the Pharisees burdensome and difficult, the yoke ultimately stunk of death. No matter how good you were, no matter how perfectly you were able to follow all of these rules and regulations, in the end, the Pharisees' yoke proved that you could not be good enough, and you were ultimately broken. Now imagine that all you had was a cumbersome yoke, a burdensome lifestyle that only led to death. It's with this understanding that we come to Matthew chapter 11. There's a lot going on in Matthew chapter 11, but here's the big picture context. So here's what happens in Matthew chapter 11. You've got to know what's going on here. So what's going on? Jesus, at the beginning of, the, of Matthew chapter 11, begins to talk to some of, some of John the Baptist's disciples. And he says to John the Baptist's disciples, hey, your master, the person you've yoked yourself to, John the Baptist, was an amazing man. He's fantastic, wonderful, to be honored. He is a good person and he's done good things. Jesus talks up John to his disciples. It's fantastic. But then Jesus looks towards the religious leaders and he says, hey, but you guys, you guys, you guys saw what John the Baptist did and, and John the Baptist came. He didn't eat fine foods. He didn't drink wine. He stayed away from all that. And you guys said he had a demon. You guys said he had a demon. At the same time, Jesus says, at the very same time, I came along. Jesus says, I came along. I ate, I ate fine foods. I ate in Pharisees' homes, and I ate in the, in the homes of leaders, and I ate fine foods, and I drank wine, and you just call me a drunken and a glutton. Which is it? Are we supposed to not eat stuff? Are we supposed to eat stuff? Which do we do? Either we have a demon or we're a drunken and a glutton. You guys have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what's going on, and you didn't listen at all. To what John said. Jesus points out to the religious leaders, it didn't matter what John did or it didn't matter what Jesus did. You didn't want to listen to the message. That was the problem. You didn't want to listen to the message because both John and I have been talking about God and how wonderful he is and how amazing he is and how you should listen to him. Jesus then says, you didn't even believe the miracles. He goes on to, to, to talk about if the miracles that were done in the places that they've been done had been done in Sodom, like this terrible place of old, if they had been done in Sodom, all of Sodom would have repented and come to God. But these, these same miracles have been done here and nothing, nothing. See, the religious leaders thought they knew God and nobody could tell them any different. Now, Jesus is saying, you didn't listen to the prophet John. You didn't listen to me. You didn't believe in the miracles. And then Jesus says this, Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. It's at that time. Just a little side note. Whenever you see in the Bible that says, at that time, you should go back and see what they're talking about. Don't just read that passage. Go back a few passages and go, oh, it's at the time that Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and doing all this stuff. Okay, so at that time, while Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, Jesus just breaks out 
And says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus starts out by saying that the religious leaders didn't listen to John. They didn't listen to Jesus. They didn't listen to the miracles. But in fact, Jesus is the only person who knows the Father. The religious leaders pretended to know the Father, but they don't know him. They make all kinds of rules and laws up to to lay on the people, but they don't even know the Father. Only the Son knows the Father. And here the Son stands before the religious leaders and all these burdened people. So the religious leaders are are in the crowd. Their disciples are in the crowd. All the people that are just encumbered by the great weight of the yoke of their teacher's teachings, and the teachers don't even know the Father. They've got this great weight upon them, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. They understood it. They understood it because they were carrying a heavy weight. Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, here I am. The son knows the father. The religious leaders have no idea who the father is. They've just burdened you needlessly. But come to Jesus, become his disciple, take his yoke on you, and you will find him gentle and humble in heart. You will do this. If you do this, you will find rest for your souls. For Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. This is discipleship. I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying here and what discipleship looks like here. It's an invitation to follow Jesus to learn from him and to put on his yoke of discipleship. Eugene Peterson says it in a way that really seems to land. He paraphrases this passage, saying it this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll receive your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is discipleship. Keep company with me, Jesus says. Keep company with me. Learn how I do it. Now, the, 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 the call of Christ... Discipleship with Jesus is not devoid of difficulty. Don't hear what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying if you take on Jesus' yoke that all of life will just open up and it'll be like rainbows and butterflies all the time. Discipleship with Jesus is rigorous. It's all-encompassing. The journey with Jesus affects not just your Sunday mornings, but your Monday mornings as well on your way to work. It affects your Friday nights as you go out to to enjoy your weekend. It's your work life, home life, spiritual life, physical life, mental life, relational life, emotional life, financial life. Your everything life is meant to be affected by your life in Christ. But the yoke feels easy and the burden feels light because it is filled with grace 
and hope and love, and it leads to life. It leads to life. I want to show you what this discipleship looked like in the early church because it's super exciting. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know what Pentecost is, let me tell you what Pentecost is. On Good Friday, which we celebrated about 50 or so days ago, on Good Friday we celebrate the death of Jesus, and then on Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and was buried. He rose from the grave, and then he spent 40 days teaching his disciples. So he came back to life. He came back to life, and then he spent 40 days appearing to his disciples and teaching them, and now they got it. There's a lot of stuff they didn't get before he died, but now they understood. So he spent 40 days teaching them uh, what, was, what, he, what they were supposed to pick up earlier. And then he ascends into heaven, and then a week later we have Pentecost. We pick up this story in the beginning of Acts, where Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit arrives. And Jesus says this to them in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then Jesus, whoop, goes up into heaven, and the disciples do what Jesus said to do. They wait in Jerusalem for those seven days until Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes down on them, empowering them to go out into the streets of Jerusalem and preach the gospel with power. It's amazing. So on Pentecost, they get filled with the Spirit, they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, and they preach the gospel of Jesus with power. Now this is in Acts chapter 2. Amazing things happen where the disciples go out and Peter gives this great speech, which culminates in this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, we read earlier, do you, anybody have an idea how many disciples there were that were gathered together praying for this filling of the Spirit? Do you remember kind of the number? 120, that's right, 120. They go out into the streets of Jerusalem and 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. It would be like us going out of this room after this service on Sunday and all of Beaver Lodge plus a bit more all come to Christ in the same day. That's right. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. So this happens in the book of Acts as the people are filled with the Spirit and they go out to powerfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's astounding. Now we know that the people were about Jesus' business. In Matthew chapter 28, we see that Jesus actually calls the disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus says, make disciples. This is your job. Make disciples. This is the central command of this passage. Make disciples. There's two key components in this. Baptize them, which is, which is kind of like getting them into the family, right? When you were baptized, you came into the family of God. So it says, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them everything I've commanded you. So you baptize them, bring them into the family, and then you put my yoke on them. Put my yoke on them. What what happens here? So Jesus told the disciples, this small group of people, to make disciples. So now we have the third generation, or I guess we're second generation, whatever you want to say. So there's a generation after Jesus, and now there's another generation where these disciples are now making disciples. It's a beautiful thing. 120 to 3,000. And here's how they did it. In Acts chapter 2, the people have already come to Jesus, and here's what they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
Now, we know they've already been baptized, so they've been welcomed into the family of God. Step two, put my yoke on them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So there is this learning and living together in community where they're practicing the things that they're being taught. This is discipleship, learning and doing life together, instruction and imitation, and many more people came to Jesus. It says at the end of that paragraph, many more. So they've already had 120, 3,000, and now many more came to faith in Jesus Christ because of this new fellowship of believers. Now, what I find really exciting in this passage was that it was the apostles who did the wonders and signs. Well, and that's what Jesus said that the disciples would do, right? He told the disciples, you're going to do even greater things than me. So there was an expectation that the apostles, that these first group of disciples would do what Jesus did. They would do miraculous signs and wonders. There was an expectation there. But that's not the exciting part. Hold on. Here's what I find really exciting. Just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 6, there was a need to appoint some new workers. Here, here's the problem. The church was growing at such a great rate that this, these 120 or these 12 apostles were not able to keep up with all the growth. They needed to appoint some extra people. In particular, the problem in Acts chapter 6 is that there are some widows that are being treated unfairly. Some are getting food, some are not getting food, and the apostles say, look, we can't spend all day waiting tables. Let's appoint some waiters. That's what they do. We're going to appoint some waiters. Some people who can feed the people that need to be fed. So they appointed some waiters. This is not high on the level of spiritual gifts, right? It's not like we're going to appoint some preachers or some teachers or some apostles or some, some evangelists. They're like, we're going to appoint some people who can wait tables. We need some busboys. Let's get some busboys together who can wait tables. It's like entry-level stuff. Can you take a plate from here to here? Yes, you're in, okay? I mean, they do find people that are filled with the Spirit and, and love God and all that kind of stuff, but they find these busboys. They find these bo busboys. And here's what's awesome about it. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God, this is one of the busboys. Stephen was one of the busboys. A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now the busboys are in on it. So it's not just the first generation. So Jesus said to this first generation, hey, you're going to do more than I did, greater things than what I did. So they did miraculous signs and wonders. We kind of expect that. But now it's the second generation. The busboys are in on this. They are performing miraculous signs and wonders amongst the people. This discipleship thing, the people are learning and then imitating. The workload is getting bigger, but the people are getting more. There's more people joining in on this. It's disciples who make disciples who are replicating what was being done before. They're following Jesus' teaching. They're following Jesus' call. They're following Jesus' mission. And they're continuing to do what their master did. And it's not just the apostles. It's the bus boys too. The normal people are doing the miraculous things in Jesus' name. Disciples who make disciples, the teaching of Jesus going on to the first generation, to the second generation, and continuing on from that point forward. It's amazing. Now, as we keep reading in the book of Acts, it was at this point that the church began to experience incredible persecution. 
and the disciples, the 120 plus the 3,000 plus all the extras that begin to come to Jesus, all of them begin to experience this persecution. And in Acts chapter 7, we see that Stephen, this busboy who was doing miraculous things, is martyred. He's killed for what he's doing. He has shown up, this second generation, this busboy, this normal person, has shown up on the radar of the religious leaders so much that they kill him. They kill him. I mean, that might be the thing to aspire to. Jesus, could I be a disciple of yours so much that I show up on the radar of those who are against you? That the people who killed Jesus would say, this Stephen guy, he's got to go. How, like, terrible and cool at the same time that Stephen shows up in a way on the radar of the religious leaders that was like Jesus. So Stephen gets martyred. This great persecution comes on the church. And all these brand new believers who've been believers for such a short time are now scattered across the world. And they begin to plant churches. They begin to make disciples. They begin to do miraculous signs and wonders out there. These people who have known Jesus for two months, they've known about him. They've been discipled for like two months and now they're planting churches. And they're, they're telling others about Jesus and they're making disciples of their own. It's amazing what begins to happen as the church begins to pass on the yoke of Jesus everywhere they go. These are disciples who make disciples. And that's how the church of Jesus Christ grows. The church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God grows when you, you normal people, walk in the way of Jesus. Not just when the seminarians come. Not just when those who have been in the pulpit for 20 years come along. Not just when, when the people that we give fancy titles like reverend and pastor to come along. But when the normal people who just know Jesus and love him, when the normal people who have been hanging out with Jesus and learning from him and reading about him in his glorious word and experiencing his presence and walking in his ways, when the normal people begin to go out there and tell their friends about this Jesus who has changed their life, that's when the church grows. That's when the church begins to grow, when disciples make disciples. I mean, can you just think of what would happen in this world? There's like a billion or so believers in this world. What if, what if we just turned to the people around us and said, I want the people around me to know who Jesus is? How amazing, how amazing that would be. 120 people at the beginning of Acts on the day of Pentecost are filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the way of Jesus, and then 3,000 people are added to their number just because they were disciples who made disciples, who told other people about Jesus, who shared the yoke of Jesus with the people all around them. Can you do this? Can you do this? You, you could answer if you wanted to, but I'll answer for you. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But how? Start simple. You need to lean into Jesus. You need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pray for your friends and neighbors and look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Look for chances to replicate what Jesus did. When someone comes to you and says, I'm sick, I'm hurting, I'm having a difficult day, I've got no peace, I've got no hope, I don't know what to do, why don't you just say, hey, can I pray for you right now? 
hey, can I tell you about someone who's changed my life? Can I give you a story of what Jesus has done for me? Share the good news. Pray for your friends and neighbors. Show up when they're mowing their lawns or gardening in their gardens. Show up when they're washing their cars or when they're taking their garbage out. Show up in their world and see how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus practically right in that space. Bring a meal to your neighbor when you know they're hurting. Send a letter to somebody in the mail when you know that they're going through a difficult time. Call somebody up when, when the Lord Jesus puts them on your heart. I remember whenever I think of the story of normal people sharing the story of Jesus, I, I often remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, who meets Jesus. Jesus tells her all about herself, stuff that she's been hiding for a while. He reveals everything about her that he knows about her, and she's changed. She runs back into town, and here's what she says. She just goes to the town center, and, and she, she, she just yells at whoever's listening, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then the whole town clears out and follows her back to Jesus. She, she introduces her whole town to Jesus, and she doesn't even know his name. Come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? What if you did that with your friends? Do you want to see somebody who's changed my life? Could you come along with me for a moment? I want to introduce you to a friend who's changed everything about me. I know this guy. I know a guy who's able to give you peace. Do you want to meet him? Do you want to meet him? How much would it change our world if we just began to tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives? Disciples who make disciples. While we were at district conference, um, we talked a lot about disciple making. This is the, we're trending in that direction. We're trying to, to make disciples who make disciples. So we're talking about it a lot. How can we do this better? What does this look like? How do we make it just simple? So it's not something that you have to go off to, to, to you know, four years of Bible college and two years of seminary and get your doctorate on and all this stuff. How can we keep it simple? Because Jesus kept it simple. So how can we keep it simple? Well, we heard from Doug Balzer, who's one of our uh, church effectiveness guys. He's the the leader of innovation in our district office, uh, but he began to experience in his own life. He shared this story. He said, I was, I was experiencing a lack of making disciples. I saw in my, Doug says, I saw in my own life that I wasn't making disciples. And so I began to call out to God, God, this is not okay. I'm supposed to make disciples. This is like my number one job is to make disciples who make disciples. So what can I do to make disciples? So he spent three months prayer in prayer and fasting intentional prayer and fasting, asking Jesus, can you help me figure out how I can make disciples? And here's what happened. It wasn't long before the Holy Spirit just met Doug as he was walking his dog, and he realized that there were other people in his vicinity, in his neighborhood, who were also walking their dogs, and they went to this off-leash area behind Doug's house, and they would just all stand around and watch their dogs run around and play with each other. And God just said, why don't you start here? And so Doug just started befriending people, talking to them about his life. He didn't go in there and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He just went in there and said, hey, what's your dog's name? Hey, our dogs are getting together. That's really cool. Will you see you tomorrow? We'll see you tomorrow. That's great. Hey, do you want to come over for a meal later? We're going to have a barbecue. And he just began to befriend people, and he began to slightly and intentionally place Jesus into the conversation. 
Talk about this guy who's changed his whole life. And now today, there is this group of people who walk their dogs in this off-leash area behind Doug's house. They call themselves the canine crew. And they don't go to church, but they go to Doug's house. And they do this Bible study together, together just learning. He, Doug just said, would you ever be interested in learning about the Bible? Learning about Jesus? And they just get together. They're not religious people, but they just get together and read the Bible together. And they're learning about Jesus. How cool is that? What people are you already connected with who you might be able to start intentionally sharing your own life with? Who's around you right now? Who's around you that God might put on your heart to share your life with? To maybe begin to tell them about what Jesus has done for you. Perhaps you might want to start a time of intentional prayer and fasting to find out who is around you that you can reach out to. Perhaps you already know who that group is. Maybe God's already been speaking to you about who the group around you is that you need to start intentionally living with. What could you do this week to make an intentional step towards making disciples who make disciples? I want you to just take a moment. We've prayed this prayer before. We've prayed this prayer before. God, who would you have me reach out to and how would you have me reach out to them to share your love with them? So I just want you to take a minute. We're going to take 10 seconds on each one of these. So just close your eyes for a moment and just ask Holy Spirit, who? Who do you want me to reach out to? Okay, so likely a name came up right now. If a name didn't come up right now, you need to pray a little longer later. Now just ask the question, how? How do you want me to reach out to them? How do you want me to reach out to them, Jesus? So this may be too quick for some of you. You may not have gotten a how right away, but some of you did. Some of you have a how already. Could you do that this week? This week, could you take that person and that how, that who and that how, and put them together this week? Our number one job is to make disciples who make disciples. Talked about the Abrahamic covenant at the beginning of the message, that we're blessed to be a blessing you are called by God to take the yoke of his goodness and his grace and his love and his life that he's put on your shoulders and show it to other people. You are blessed to be a blessing. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing this closing song together and then I'll come up and do a benediction. So I want to give opportunity today, um, if you are here or you're watching online and you've not made Jesus a part of your life, if you've not begun to follow him, if you've not asked him to come into your life to, to set you free, to, to, to give you hope, to take his yoke upon you, which is light and easy, if you've not done that yet, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So we're going to, we're going to pray uh, just a quick prayer here. If you're wanting to make Jesus... Ask Jesus to come into your life, to become a follower of Jesus. You can pray something like this. Jesus, thank you. You just pray it in your head if you want. Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. Thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for your yoke that is light and easy. Thank you for giving me life. I give my life to you now. 
and ask you to come into my life. I want to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Amen. So, my prayer for you is that this won't just sit on Sunday morning. This won't just be, you're done now, it's 11 o'clock, it's time to go get on with other things and let's just get on with life and we'll see you again next week. My prayer for you is that this week you will be changed. That you will recognize the people around you that God has intentionally put you in their midst so that you can share the life of Jesus with them. So I'm going to pray that blessing over you. And I just, I just challenge you to, to go out and do it. I'm, I'm going to ask you to report back. Come let us know how it went. Let us know how we can pray for you. So let me just bless you. I just bless you, church, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ to be filled afresh even right now by Holy Spirit to empower you to boldly go out there and declare the life of Jesus, to tell other people to live in proximity with people so that you can reveal to them what Jesus has done in you so that they can also experience the great love and power and peace and hope of Jesus. And Jesus, we ask, we know that this is your desire. Your desire is, to, is that everyone would hear your name and everyone would choose to follow you. We know that's what you're doing. That's what your spirit is already at work doing. And so, Lord, do it in us and through us. May you be glorified, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as your people, your church, goes out into Beaver Lodge and Hythe and Wembley and LaGlass and Elmworth and all throughout the area as they go out to their neighborhoods, the highways and byways, and make your name known. May you be honored and glorified, Jesus, in all we say and do this week. We praise you and thank you and pray these things in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're looking for prayer today, if you want prayer for boldness, if you want prayer for healing, if you want encouragement, whatever it is, come on up, chat with us. There'll be a couple of prayer people up here. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, If not, visit, fellowship, connect with one another, and you're dismissed. Blessings on you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.